You're listening to the Winnebus.net Podcast Network. They come from the bowels of hell, guided by a master plan on complete domination of the earth. It arouses such emotion that the management has been forced to state positively no refunds. Hey, it's the Deliberations of Doom. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to all our fans out there. Tell your other horror fans out there about Deliberations of Doom, because I think we're pretty good at what we do. Oh, wow. <laughs> I wow. agree. Uh, well, Rob's well, like, well. I hope that I get, yeah, definitely share. Yeah. And, and Sharing is caring. We, we've got a real solid team here. I mean, we've got like a horror writer. Patience. We've got a horror writer and director. Yay, me. And two other horror writers and directors. <laughs> That's, yeah, Patience, Phil... Rob and Russ Summers. Yeah. yeah. And we I'm watch sure a lot what of Chris movies. is bringing to the table. Nothing. <laughs> I own the site. Chris is just like the overall entertainment expert. All right. I am just the... The I'm hardy, the, hardest working man in showbiz. I'm like any given ship <laughs> captain. I don't really know how anything works, but I know how to point at things. <laughs> sure are good at that, Chris. Yeah, exactly. Engage. <laughs> uh, yeah, we. this is our Stephen King episode, and no, we're not talking about The Shining or Misery or any of that other stuff that every Everyone loves to go, wow, this is a great Stephen King adaptation. We're talking about maybe some of the ones that slipped past your radar. Some of which maybe you should be glad for having slipped past your radar. <laughs> Others you should probably seek out, or maybe seek out. Anyway, I don't think there's anything on here that's a definitive seek out that we're talking about. We're talking about like stuff like, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I mean, I think that's... Well, we'll get into it. Yeah, we'll get into it. But first, as always, we talk about something else. Usually we talk about a newer release. We didn't really have anything that was standing out right now, partially because a lot of the festivals are holding on tightly that are about to happen or are just happened to things that are um, that are worth seeing that are, you know... The, you know, they're not going right to VOD because people are like, oh, we want to get this at Fantastic Fest or we just played Fantasia and now we're hoping to get to something else. So there's nothing, is what I'm saying. However, speaking of Fantasia, the Summers Brothers just made a trip up to Montreal yeah. to visit. Yeah. Now, y'all didn't get a chance to see many st- much stuff while you were there because yeah. you were actually up there for like two days submitting yeah, about 48 hours. your own short to the Shorts Festival there. If you guys want to hear reviews from Fantasia, Patience and I and Richard did a whole thing, Infestation, on the site where we talked about a bunch of the so many genres stuff on there but tell us a little bit about your your trip uh, presenting couples night to fantasia uh well we got we're super grateful we get uh selected by fantasia fest which is a premier um genre fest maybe one of, maybe the biggest in the world i don't know it's pretty close but it's certainly the longest yeah <laughs> um and uh phil had uh, prepared us that it was pretty rad he was like yeah it's, it's worth going to so um, we made the trek up there. Uh, we had never been to Canada. Montreal is an amazing city filled with super good-looking people who are dressed really well and all speak French <laughs> and English. Uh, I tried to marry a lot of Canadians while we were there. I uh, didn't go my Mainly way. for the health care. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, Fantasia was great. They really took care of us. Uh, they, you know... Um, which I, yeah, I, we got there. We were there. We got there like almost like one in the morning. By the way, you can drink until three in the morning in Montreal, which we learned. Yep, important information from Canada. dangerous information. Uh, yeah, um, they checked us in. Uh, we, I'm I'm trying to think. Um, we got there to the festival. We checked in around eleven, mm-hmm. I think, in the morning or whatever. We showed that night. Um, we were part of uh, what was DJ DJ X. Shady eighty five or something yeah. like that. Uh, his his cataclysmic zapping party. So what they do is uh, unlike other festivals, they edit together. We were we had a short film called Couples Night. 
what they do is they edit together all of the short films, but in between them, they put clips from old movies, um, like uh, uh, music videos, commercials, all kinds of stuff. So it has this feeling like you're surfing through channels or something. And he had said, oh, it's a... It's something we do every year. It's actually a really big hit. And he said, we only have about 80 seats left. And I was like, well, that's, that seems fairly regular. You know, usually the horror movie fest thing doesn't sell out. We got out of the Uber, and there was a line around the building. There was 700 people there for oh, wow. a shorts fest. Yeah, I've never had that before. And they were, it was like a rock show. They were cheering. Um, they were shouting. It was great. Um, there were about 20 shorts we showed with all of them under about nine minutes. Uh, most of them horror-themed or sort of uh, weird or out there. I couldn't have been more pleased to be with the show. Did you guys with. do a Q and A? There was an introduction uh, thing at the beginning, and um, I'm trying to think. Of, uh, I, there were some. Re- we, I, I would say almost all of the shorts were uniformly great. Um, a couple that uh, stand out. There was one uh, called the the accomplice. The accomplice. That was kind of a a funny take on a, a crime movie. Yeah, it was a, a series of increasingly. Um, uh, stressed out voicemails uh, with one guy calling his friend saying he's going to try and rob a bank. And then uh, Girl Number 2, which we had also seen at the Other Worlds Fest here in the Austin. Di- the director was there for that. We met him, and he was great. He's great. That's a really good one. Um, I wanted to think, oh, and there was this movie. It was good. The director was a dick, though. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had that yeah, experience yeah, at film festivals. Yeah, that's happened more this, often. this did not happen at this film festival, but... Uh, what you're uh, saying is Phil didn't have a short there. Phil didn't have a <laughs> Sorry, I had to take it. It was low no, hanging so fruit. No, because I make features. Yeah. <laughs> True. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so she much got real. shade right now. She got real. Uh, the, the night after, actually, they were telling us that uh, Robert Pattinson was going to be there with his new movie, uh, Good Time. So they were they were gearing up for that security. Which is, yeah. They were super getting sick. rave reviews. I actually missed a screening because it was at ten a.m. I was like, huh? "Yeah, ten a.m. That's not a good time. <laughs> That's it. Ten a.m. is not a good time for me." Yeah, they're actually going to screen it again next week. Thank God, so I get to finally. See uh, it. But Fantasia is really great. Uh, there's yeah, Montreal is fantastic, and and this particular shorts program, which I guess they've been running for almost thirteen years. I totally see why it sold out and they had that many people. It is definitely an experience worth going to see. So the Cataclysmic Zappin' Party, if you get a chance, it, it really was an, That's an amazing... That's the program to see at Fantasia, yeah, obviously. Amazing so. experience. Do they have, sounds like fun. Do they have drinks there, though? Can you drink and watch? Not, sadly, not at the uh, at theater. At the theater, oh, although... The other so there's no Fantastic. The other directors no we were next to had brought in a bottle of Bullet and were getting smashed. I, I will say that at Fantastic Fest, the ability to drink in the theater doesn't always work to the advantage of the oh, creators of the films. Alamo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we've all been at more than one. We're South by Southwest. Yeah, we're South by Southwest. I mean, we've all been more than one screening in Austin at the Alamo the Draft House. Q&A. The director or the actors are so fucking trashed. <laughs> Bad <laughs> batch. Like, the ability, yeah. yeah, the ability to drink uh, while watching a movie giveth and taketh. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. So uh, it was a terrific uh, experience. Uh, I, I hope we, I hope we um, get to show. Yeah, there get again. to show there again. We made friends with everybody there, so. Hopefully they'll like whatever well, we do next. Keep but, making amazing yes. shorts. Oh, thank you. Thank Did you. you meet anybody who was like, oh my God. So- we, um, who was the guy that made, there was two shorts that were great called LA Ninja and Hologram Cop. And they were almost felt like they, they were done in the style of 80s canon movie trailers. And they were really funny. And the director, uh, I'm, I'm going to try and find his he name was really he was a really cool guy. And he had made, I, we became Facebook friends with him. And he had an amazing picture of a p- artwork he had made of Radio Rah- Raheem from uh, Do the Right Thing. Yes. Yeah. 
And then, he, as you kept scrolling up his Facebook, he's like, oh, Radio Raheem's on the move. And then the last picture was him and Spike Lee, because Spike Lee had bought the statue, and he was installing And his, his short of, of uh, L.A. Ninja had, I, I could not believe this, a cameo by none other than the great Lance Henriksen. <laughs> so it was kind of amazing. And it was, it was literally like you could tell he, he'd only had him for a few hours, but he delivers the big exposition of <laughs> what the L.A. Ninja is. So that was really... And his name is uh, uh, Calder Greenwood. So, yeah. You, yeah, seek out his stuff. He's yeah. a really interesting cat. A lot, a lot of cool stuff, man. Uh, cool. Sounds like a yeah. great experience. We were very fortunate, uh, yeah. Do you have yeah. a, a single moment that stands out as like the defining moment of that whole thing other than the point where you're being applauded on stage uh, which is which is always great i would say this they they had the the shorts were interspersed with these very funny animated uh shorts about cats I love it already. <laughs> I, I know you do. Because, uh, Chris, Chris, by the way, is a cat guy. If y'all, if y'all have been following the, the podcast, all, yeah. uh, and uh, the Aww. every time those shorts would would come on un, unprompted, the entire audience would begin to meow. Yeah, so that that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was pretty rad. You know, we lucked out too. We were the first. I think we were the first or second short, and. There were like twenty shorts, so we were the, so it was great because we got to go. Everybody's super excited. Everybody liked it, and then we could just relax. Yeah. Whereas like other people had to wait like an hour to see their shorts. So that was that was pretty great. Right on. I, yeah. I hope one of these years to make it up there. Although I was there during Fantasia Fest one year, but I didn't know it was going on until I got to Montreal and I was there with my girlfriend. I was like, "Can we?" And she was just like, "No." Uh, <laughs> and that's why y'all aren't yeah. together. Speaking of festivals and films to see at festivals, Fantastic Fest is right around the corner. They've already got a lot of films. They put out the first wave. They're still deciding on the second wave, and I guess they <coughs> occasionally even have a third wave. <laughs> and on like a film, has a really good movie written by Jason Murphy, who you guys know from Modern Rogue and from Spill.com and from, uh, uh, I don't know, a lot of places. And, uh, <laughs> and that movie is in contention to whether or not to put a Fantastic Fest and what you need to do is email programming at fantasticfest.com <laughs> yeah. and say I'm really looking forward to seeing 200 hours. Uh, uh, what, what was that email address again? That was <laughs> programming at fantasticfest.com oh, and God. email them and say I'm hoping you guys are going to show 200 hours. It's a movie I'm really looking forward to seeing or something along those lines. I just spent 200 hours emailing them. Oh. Uh, hopefully programming's not like me. They're like, man, fuck this movie. You know, all these emails and all these people. I'm bearing this shit. Not again. <laughs> Because I get bitter. I picture, like, Tim League sitting back in a big, comfortable chair with an eye patch and a cat on his lap going, kill him. Yeah. <laughs> Which he's on so many painkillers right now. Yeah, he might actually like, be doing. Time. So he, he got in a really bad accident. Yeah. Uh, that's not good. Yeah, he broke his leg in, like, I think he said, like, 16 places something like or that. something yeah. like that. Yeah, when he opened up for Terrible the Bad Batch, he, uh, he was definitely loopy yeah, and wearing was, pajamas. He was, was wearing pajamas. Yes, he was. Hey, you know what? Mad props to him. If we could all just wear pajamas everywhere, it would be a better. I, that's kind actually of world. my work. I, I was, <laughs> it's literally my goal in life. Yeah. I almost oh. wore pajamas here, and my fiance was like, "You're gonna wear that?" And I'm like, "It's just us 
fine. I'll no, change. We would be okay. So yes, but I, I completely disagree right with now. your fiance. Yeah. As lovely as she is, I would have I, I would have been happy. She goes, you're gonna wear your comfy shorts. Fine, I'll change if you on a podcast. I think it's a. I feel like people are looking at. I feel like your fiance doesn't listen to the podcast. I think it's a sign that you trust people when you show up to their house with pajamas on. I agree. Okay. Next, next, next episode. Everybody's wearing pajama pants. Pajama party. expect to be listened to in pajama pants. <laughs> right. We're going to do pants. only horror movies that feature people in pajamas. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a lot, though, probably. Yeah. No, that's going to be like our fifth year when we're going to be struggling for episode <laughs> topics. Yeah, what would be that like, Okay, so this time, Anybody it's did... like any... Okay, so horror movies that features people drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> With the protagonist has an unusually sized nose. <laughs> well, we were fortunate to get to, uh, to get to Fantasia Fest. I hope everybody gets to go to that and Fantastic Fest here in Austin. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm well. so are y'all stoked. accepted into there? For the no, 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 no. Is, but did you all, submit it? I don't think we're gonna get in there. We'll, yeah. It's hard to get in the shorts yeah. program, which is bizarre. I what's great is like, yeah, I think like. Whereas we were just one of 20, I think, like, at Fantasia, I think Fantastic Fest is, like, 20 total. Did oh, you yeah. submit they, one of the... like, barely... And they don't have a, just yeah. a specific set of shorts like they, other festivals. They use shorts to open up big films, right. and then they have, like, a very, very small section where they play them. Yeah. yeah. They, they, so, they have, like, 20 total. Yeah. Although they do have the thing where you get to... They, they encourage people to film the openers. That, right. That's the theme of the thing. And yeah. I'm, every year, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it this year. I never do it. <laughs> <laughs> and this year the the theme is uh, uh, I believe Middle Eastern films I believe yeah, it is yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and, and I, you know and usually like they're Turkish. like I'll stick to the theme and I'm like isn't everybody a little frightened to make a movie that's horror and Middle Eastern at this point for fear of people pointing the finger and making a Donald Sutherland and Invasion of the Body Snatchers face at it? I'm just saying. <laughs> I guess it you're going to find it out. It does seem fraught with peril. It does I agree seem fraught with, with peril. political climate, I agree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to dodge that bullet. Yeah, I agree. I'm gonna I agree. I'm going to stay uh, totally away from that. All, uh, right. all right, tell us about the Dark Tower because that's why we're oh doing this. Oh my yeah, God! Patience and I saw we the just, Dark yeah, Tower. We just okay, so Stephen King is our okay. So Stephen King is our is our theme this week. This that's month. that's Patience's fault. I just like yeah. to double underline. Yes, fault you can, is you a get, strong is, word. You can Chris's all word, blame it on me. I guess if you want, <laughs> fine. Um, he whatever. is a significant figure in horror Look, and especially I mean, horror cinema. I mean, he is the he's the. I mean, I know John Carpenter calls himself the master of horror, but I really think Stephen King is the true master. So, you guys saw The Dark Tower. The the long awaited epic adaptation of Stephen King's seven novel. Wired uh, published a headline saying, The Dark Tower is films, films. Biggest letdown in years. Agreed. Uh, Den of Geek said, Can the Dark Tower franchise be saved? I think that I kind of speaks to, like... I think we waited 10, 15 years for this movie to get made, and it was, like... I mean, longer, even, if you think about yeah, when the first one came absolutely. out. You're talking close to 30 years that we've been absolutely. waiting for something like this. And... I mean, and I mean, we all wanted Matthew McConaughey as Randall Flagg. I mean, he's not Walter. Randall Flagg, though, isn't he? Walter. Sorry, he's Walter. Walter. Yeah. The Man all, in Black. Him, Leland Gaunt, Roland Flagg—they're all the same person. I mean, I think I think that as far as the Dark Tower goes, I think. McConaughey and Elba are good choices for those roles. They were so underutilized. I mean, I think in our review, I, I think Chris the review put, on puts highly it suspect back. reviews. Yeah, yes. I put it best where it was just a bland movie. It was just so 
lifeless. There was no energy to it at all. There was no love. No style. No sense passion, of style. No, yeah, it was just like... So, in keeping with a lot sad. of Stephen King adaptations, yeah, no, it's that's a miss. Very true. That's very, very true. Um, let's hope that it comes out September 9th. Let's hope that it's... It's going to be good. going to be better. Yeah. I, I can tell. It's going to be Wait, wait, good. real quick. Uh, how did everybody feel about Mama? Have you all, all seen that? I, I liked it okay. Up until the end. Yeah. Like, you'd like, like third yeah, act. I, that, yeah, that's a movie that did have a lot of style that I really liked. I even thought that the way that you chose to use CG in it was cool. I was like, okay, oh. that's a really neat looking creature you developed. And then it just kind of peters out towards okay. the end. I'm just saying this because that's the director of it. I wanted to be cl- clarify that. And Have you seen it, Phil? Uh, the new one? The, no, no Mama. Mama. Oh, Mama, yeah. It was great. Okay, I liked it too. I liked it a lot, actually. Okay. I, I thought it had it more style and viewpoint and ideas than a lot of like It definitely horror. had yeah. a lot of style. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, just... Jessica Chastain's character alone, I think, was such a like cool, interesting character. It showed, it showed how much promise I think that director has. Like I was like, I really like that. And the opening, I remember the opening was really strong. It's, I, it's unusual. It's kind of offbeat. I will say though, watching the it trailers, which everyone, the internet, in its entirety, is like awesome. Very, very. Let's pleased. check this yeah. out. As a longtime horror guy, I go. A lot of this just seems like jump scares to me, which I isn't necessarily disagree. a problem. But I'm like, there's a lot of just flat out jump jump I, scares. I, I, I'm I'm actually a jump scare fan. I know yeah. jump scares oh, get a better. I love but, Annabelle too. Okay, <laughs> which is which is acceptable. I like Lights Out. So I did too. Yeah, but I. I have to say that the trailer itself, I'm not super excited about myself. Yeah. It didn't grab me in the way yeah. it grabbed everybody else, but yeah. I, I liked Mama. So that's yeah, the that, that's I'm the main really reason excited. I'm. I'm yeah. Yeah. Uh, we actually watched. I finally watched the trailer. It was before Annabelle too when mm. we were, re- were reviewing. You had Annabelle. no choice. Yes, because I don't. I avoid trailers, and I was. I thought it was like right on the money. Like okay. I was like, this is exactly what I was looking for when. I see it. it well, this is going to be very interesting. Yeah, when it comes out. You know, I, yeah. and I'm while I love Tim Curry, I also th- I think the original TV miniseries is heavily flawed. It's I, I mean heavily flawed. Yeah, heavily I'm, flawed is. Nice. I'm a huge fan of the book, and I have to say, I, there's obviously an experience with that TV miniseries that the majority of people have that it has been in, in many ways labeled sort of a classic of of the genre. And I do not have that experience with. I totally agree with you. I, I even even then, I just thought it was. It was kind of a miss as far as... Uh, and they're doing two movies? Yeah, like, they're going to yeah. do two movies. Uh, the first one's The Kids, yeah, and then the, the second, second one's, one's going to be The Which adults. is odd, because when you look at both the miniseries and the movie, the experience of the kids... Part the of the structure is really that the experience of the adults is deeply mirroring what was happening in the past with the kids. I mean, it's a very intentionally structured to go back and forth like that. And so splitting it up seems like, well, this is going to require massive rewrite to, I to, to think do that's this. a good idea. I mean, I do too, as long as they realize it does require a massive conceptual rewrite. Yeah, because it does work. not stand on its own legs. You yes. have to have the backstory of the kids. So if you just watch episode two and not episode one, you're going to be lost. And like, yeah. why, you know, one person stutters? Why one person has this flaw? You're yes. going to be lost. After and that's and where Dark Tower went wrong, as they put seven books into 90 minutes. It seems like there were a lot of problems with the Dark Tower. You know, and it's really unfortunate uh, that we had to wait so long, go through so many directors, so much, you know, time and news and iterations of the Dark Tower and Instead, they just kind of went for the most middle of the road. And And that's how you know it's going to be bad. In this era where clearly everybody wants to have a universe... And they accept that going to a universe, you go in with a bunch of, like, a film that goes, this is just the beginning. Things are going to be answered later. 
they made a movie that feels like it's the only thing they're going to make. They Should've compressed made a TV the show. entire <laughs> storyline into one thing, and you're like, was this just the product of like a lot of executives fighting who'd never actually read the books? I that's kind of what it felt like to me. Like we just got to hurry up and get this out there, and 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 you know we've gone through so many like like different directors and scripts and versions. Like let's just hurry up and get the Dark Tower made. And speaking of television shows, is anybody watching The Mist right now? I like no. it a lot. I, I love it. I I, like it's it a lot. it's getting mm. terrible reviews. Really? Is it? it yeah, yeah. Like uh, it's been like a massive failure, and I'm into it. I I am. Too. I every episode I look I watch almost immediately. I think yep. it's a really fun show. I'm kind of shocked people don't totally like it. agree. Everyone thinks it's really super boring, which I can understand because it's dragging out this like uh, unlike the Dark Tower, it's dragging out this you know. But this every whole episode experience. is interesting, and someone I, and, dies horribly and the almost every episode. Are interesting. And, I mean, and that's why you like it, Chris. No, yeah. but I'm just saying, like, if you're into I, a I like horror <laughs> television show, there yeah. should be. I mean, like, let's look at The Walking Dead season two. Is a good example of how not to do a hard television show. Totally disagree. But disagree really? as well. Totally uh, disagree. I mean, I don't think it's terrible, but I think after the first season, which is very punch, 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 people didn't expect a whole season where it was just about character development and there's almost no zombies. Once again, totally disagree. Yeah, disagree. We're going to get sidetracked. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> let's enough. talk about Steve. I mean, we could, could we, guys, we, we could have Chris be wrong all day. <laughs> I, but we're going to go ahead and move on to the review. Russ, that's what I do for a living. <laughs> that's right. Is you. That's all right. Day. We, got, we got like six to eight movies <laughs> for Chris wrong, to disagree wrong. with Chris. <laughs> and just last thing before we start. Uh, one more thing. What is not being able to count The Shining your favorite Stephen King adaptation? The Mist. God. Oh, man, I'm just not a fan of a lot of these. Uh, no, no, but no. Not of ever, 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 ever. No, I mean, I'm, I'm being of ever. Oh, wow. Ever, Stephen King? I mean, like, The like, Shining is the only you, you one I like. like, non-horror. You oh, can go, like, Stephen King oh, okay. or Shawshank. Really? Okay, yeah. well, I'm oh, Phil oh, yeah. contemplating. Yeah, well, Phil figures it out. Existential stand crisis. Stand by me. Phil says stand by me. I'm going to say the Shawshank Redemption, hands down. Stand by me is mine. So yeah. there you go. All right. Okay, so, stand by me. Yeah. Ooh. Well, I, God, it's such a tough call. I mean, it's between the Shawshank, which is my favorite Stephen King uh, uh, book as well. Yeah. And then um, and then The Shining, Novella. which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I knew somebody was going to get super technical and start playing semantics the minute it came out of my mouth. How did Opie that side of the couch? So you're going to see Shawshank as well. You know what Rob said, Shawshank? So you pick something. There's someone pick the Shining. No, we said no to the Shining. We can't pick the Shining. We can't pick the Shining. The Shining is the obvious choice, so something else. You could say Green Mile. I mean, Green Mile. No, then I'm going to have to stick with the Shawshank because that is an amazing adaptation. What? He picked Shawshank. You've got to pick another one. Oh, so now we're all broke on your choice. There's rules, apparently. Chris is just making this up. Well, then mine is the Dark Tower, and I haven't even seen it. The Running Man is still. Available. You know what? I'll take the Running Man. Thanks, right. Bill. The I Running Man is still running better. Running Man for this episode. <laughs> Russ Summers with Hearts and Atlantis for the win. Wait, I'm searching for the Dead Zone. Oh, oh so good! It should have been mine. Yeah, yeah, I'm just waiting. I was like, "Don't pick the dead zone." Mentally, tell telepathically, "Don't pick the dead zone." Don't pick, Don't the, pick dead the dead zone. Well, mine's the Lawnmower Man Two, a suburb, <laughs> suburban nightmare. And now I want to watch it just because you. Also, said. so good should have been mine. All right, well, let's get into our actual choices now. Y'all are going to be probably surprised and dismayed at some of the choices that we made. A lot of these may have been Sad. widely seen at the time, but have been kind of forgotten about or. 
were like not kept up with pop culture, but have a cult following. Yeah. And the first one, which I still think is a little baffling, it has as strong, and it's a really strong cult following as it does, is Cujo, which was not only one of my least favorite Stephen King reads, but a movie I never even watched until we had to watch for this. And I Wait, was, you just saw this? Yeah, it was the first it was the first time I ever saw it. S- same here. I mean, never seen it really? and partially because, okay. like I said, I'm it was shocked. one of my least favorite Stephen King reads ever. I was like, eh, I just, okay. I, I don't know, maybe it's just because I like fuzzy creatures like me. And I was like, ah, I don't buy it. Cujo would have gone, but you're okay. <laughs> but, I mean, it's not this is a terrible movie, it's just a just workman-like movie. And of course okay, they, Let, is, before you give your review, tell, tell us what the movie's about. Yeah, okay, so it's uh, Dee Wallace, who had kind of weirdly become a, a kind of mom squ- scream queen in her time, uh, playing the, the mom of a kid named Tad, played by Danny Pinataro, who became the kid on that show Who's the Boss, for the record. And who was the boss? <laughs> we still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's still a mystery. Maybe Stephen King will tell us someday. Wait, I don't think that's I think the boss is Cujo. <laughs> the boss is Cujo. So, uh, she's married to a guy who's always out on the road, always working. She's having an affair with another guy. Um, there's a lot of sexual dynamic stuff going on of like gender dynamic stuff going on in the deep in the subtext of this thing but ultimately they're having problems they're not like violent problems but they're problems so uh there's they also have car issues that (laughs) should do which is often deeply connected to sexual dysfunction I say that as a guy who just got his car fixed. My, my maintenance light just came on. Check oil. Um, and they they have this redneck guy out in the like in the presumably the boonies where uh, they've taken their cars. They take their cars to go get fixed. Um, he leaves, dad leaves town, mom and kid take the Pinto, which first off, you're like, okay, obviously these characters aren't the best at, like, intelligence for buying a Pinto at this point in time, but it was a widely bought car. It was like the PT Cruiser of the 70s. But go on, finish your... They get out there, and after we've seen for a while, they have a lovely, big St. Bernard, which is one of the most kind, sweet dogs that exist. But we see this dog get bit on the nose by a bat. It's got rabies. By the time they get out there, just the mom and the kid in the car, the dog has gone full-blown, murderously insane. Has already killed two people. And most of the movie, the good ha- over slightly over half the movie, is them trapped in this car trying to figure out what to do as they're both suffering from dehydration. And, I mean, this is over the space of days. And the dog is like, you're not getting out of that car. Uh, this is why I always have like water and food in my mm-hmm. car. Like that's why I have a zombie apocalypse bag in my there car is for situations just, just as this. A Cujo. just in case of Cujo Cujo bag. Yeah, okay. Cujo bag. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. I love the fact that um, there's like D. Wallace. She was in Jaws too, correct? Mm, I believe so. And like the kid literally makes like a Jaws reference in the film. I thought that was like kind also of a cute in the Howling, thing. Howling and E. T. as well, and the Stepford Wives. And critters. And apparently the woods that they look at from the house were the woods they shot the howling in. Yep. Which I found kind of interesting. Yeah, she was actually in a lot of horror movies. Popcorn as well. Uh, The Frighteners. The First Hills Have Eyes. Halloween. Yeah. Holy cow. House of the Devil. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, kind of a mom scream queen. Yeah. She's never the one who's like the 
the sexy protagonist. She's the one who's like the mom protagonist. Yeah, she's like the mom haircut. She's like a good sexy. Oh, I see how it is. Summer's brothers are into the mom. She's not the Jamie Lee Curtis. She's the difference. I don't discriminate. She's the Sigourney. She's not the Jamie Lee Curtis type of protagonist. She's a Sigourney Weaver type of protagonist. Yeah, there you go. The maternal instinct protagonist. Fun fact, King actually doesn't even remember writing this book. Right, he mentioned that. Yeah. fucked up. He was an on, alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. And, and... Damn, that is awesome. Drugs. That, I mean, it's That's like, I wish... Doing. I guess I should just... Imagine getting drunk and writing Cujo. <laughs> like, you just... You, you know, know what I do when I'm drunk? drunk? I eat Whataburger and pass out. <laughs> I don't write a novel. Are you sure? Have as, you checked your typewriter? <laughs> as a writer, I feel like I'm doing it completely wrong. Yeah, I, I, would, to, I should say so. I need to get a drug dealer, and I mean, I'm already an alcoholic functioning. Yeah. But I... Uh, and that goes without saying. <laughs> Maybe I should drink more. I, I don't know. That's good. Then and, I can have a good And that's book. true. It's not like he had a computer. I mean, he was typewriter. Typewriter. Yeah. I mean, like, this is like waking up the next day, like, what did I do? <laughs> oh, it's <was> pretty good. <laughs> shit, I'll keep going. I'll publish this shit. Like, uh, <laughs> weird if there's, when, you, when you actually read the book, as opposed to the movie, there were things from it in the movie that were ended up being cut out, but the book was considered to be a pseudo-sequel to The Dead Zone. Strangely And there's enough, a lot yeah. of intentional stuff in there that is directly connected to that, including like Dead Zone. Of course, the big boogeyman is the the Frank guy Dodd. who's the deputy, Frank Dodd, who ends up dying. But that takes place in the same town as this, and this is a couple years later. The sheriff is the same character that appears in this movie. That's the sheriff from that movie. Uh, the town is still like in the book. They con- he's their boogeyman. They refer mm-hmm. to him as the boogeyman. They regularly pass by the old house where it happened, and people are like, "Oh, kids are like, I dare you to go into that old house where Frank Dodd is," and the main kid is having nightmares every night of like Frank Dodd coming out of his closet and terrorizing him. It's even insinuated that Cujo, albeit still suffering from rabies, is in fact infected with the spirit of Frank Dodd himself. Well, I mean, obviously he was so really, really drunk none of this when is he in wrote the, this None book. of this is in the movie. Yeah. None of this is in the no. movie. Or, or, just just Tad seeing that something could be haunting and, him. And, and the, the movie closet, seems yeah. to... Give a, a small visual legitimacy to his concerns. Yeah. I felt like it, it sort of, you, didn't, you know what I mean? No, like, I feel sure. like it It doesn't completely dismiss his fears, which I liked. Anyways. Uh, oh, for the record, this is in Castle Rock, which I believe there's only like, I think, eight or nine movies that are actually set in Castle Rock. Hmm. A lot of his other movies are set in movies that are next door to Castle Rock, like Derry. Bangor. Or bang, yeah. Um, but uh, the sheriff after him in the books is named Alan Pangborn who appears in two movies Michael Rooker played him in The Dark Half and Ed Harris plays him in Needful Things which we're going to talk about okay yeah oh yeah and I forgot Johnny the psychic from The Dead Zone is also in the book mentioned by names multiple times so connections in the book that are not in the movie. Not in the movie, which is yeah. kind of a shame because I think this would have made it a better movie if they uh, had tied it in. Uh, maybe because this came out, I believe, just after the Dead Zone came out. If they're I'm a year. Are they the same? Uh, year? Yeah, they were the same year, I believe. So yeah. John Carpenter's Dead Zone, right? It seems like such no, a missed David opportunity. David Carpenter. <laughs> came out right before by two months. That's they were shot at the same time. John Carpenter did the masterpiece Ghosts of Mars, so yeah. I just want to. <laughs> he didn't do. But anyways, John Carpenter okay. did Chris. 
Steen. So, so you like this one or you don't like this one? I actually like this movie a lot. Um, it makes me sad because dogs, but and plus the main dog died but, on set while well, they, they were had filming. Well, they had five to well, thirteen the dogs. No, he died. He had bloat, which is uncom- not uncommon for big dogs. Okay, well, they used uh, five to thirteen dogs, um, all with different sets of commands. I guess it's a weird during, range, like yeah, five to thirteen, so, like an eight like, One dog <laughs> could like be like, "Oh, be mad at the window," and one dog could be like, "Oh, sit here and look cute." I don't know. That was their biggest but, problem: is the dogs were so sweet, they had a hard time keeping them from being true, sweet. Because they Saint Bernards t- are awesome. They had to tie their tails to their legs because they kept frantically wagging them. So, they were having and, so and much they were fun. Having so much you fun. can so, see it, like in any shot from behind. One scene that you can, can see, you can actually see, see where the hairs kind of push down where a rope would be, and they forgot. To tie it down at least two or three times, and you yeah. see the tail. And the tail's just like, oh, but I'm having such you know, a great time. Didn't occur to me ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually, this is one of the rare movies where I like the ending. I'm sorry. Well, uh, in the book, he dies. The movie the ending dies. is better. Yeah, it, 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 dies, but yeah. the movie ending is just is better. This she is dies in the book. Uh-huh. Yeah, the kid wow. dies. And, and the mom has oh. rabies. And the yeah. mom gets rabies. Everyone yeah. dies. And that's one of the rare times that Stephen yeah. King actually clinched the ending. You know, uh, we're going to talk a lot about how he can't clinch an ending. Yeah. But this is one of the times where I was like, yes, for the movie version. For yes. the movie version, I think. The movie better. version, the studio didn't like the book. Anyway. I agree with the movie. I don't think I don't King, like well, King didn't either. like it either. He King said that was the one mistake he made with yeah. the book. He's was always said Tad. the one regret he's had with writing is that he did he killed Tad. And I just disagree with Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> and Stephen King kills a lot of his main characters. Yes, he does. A lot of people, like no one's safe in a King book or a movie. And yeah. uh, I mean, I. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I thought it was, you know, kind Whoa. of... Nice. It was, Whoa, it was, it was, it was a yeah, twist. I like, yeah. Well, I mean, I'd never seen it before. And then I'm watching it, and I go, wow, how many people have copied this setup? Like, I, even the monster, not something like, what, two years ago when the monster came out? It's the same exact fucking movie. Mm, it's, yeah. it's Cujo. Yeah. It's a mother and a child in a car with a creature outside, and you've got to deal with your own life issues in the car. I like the monster well, better. Well... <laughs> I like Cujo better because it was shot better and it's in the daytime. It makes something scary in the daytime Damn. and then it's an original. And uh, I, I liked it. And uh, he also said D. Wallace uh, gave his best performance for any character in any movie, including Kathy Bates' Misery performance. He did say that. Wow. Yeah. He said he said D. Wallace's performance. She is terrific. She, I mean, yeah, she's, she's amazing so, in this movie. So she must have really captured what it was that he was really like, kind of, uh, you know, trying to capture in this book. Because he has a lot of. Stories like I even text you guys when I was watching. It's funny, you can watch back-to-back movies, and there's some guy yelling at a woman saying, "That ain't my baby." Like, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of themes <laughs> yeah. that like he's dealing with and, yeah. and things in his life, and uh, so he, I mean, D. Wallace must have captured the essence of what he was trying to create. Not and I to mention that. the kids acting. I mean, I think the kid feels like amazing. a real kid. He's really yeah, but do kids really act? I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. Like he, <laughs> yeah. his mom was reading him lines. He would recite the whatever lines he's doing. I I was in with that. Was, he he that doesn't feel like a precocious child performance. Really, I, I hear you. He I just, was too young. He didn't know how to read. So yeah, yeah as Phil said, his mom he's had to read him the lines until well, he's he killing it. Him. Well, he's yeah. reciting lines. I, mean, I get it. I just always find it weird when like a little kid gets nominated for an Oscar when they didn't even read the damn script. It's like, come on now. Phil's getting technical. Cool. Getting technical on that. That part where he's like dehydrated and his eyes are, he's like having a seizure. I mean, oh man, it he's was harrowing. You know what my favorite part of this movie was? We've seen a million horror movies, and a car breaks down and shit goes wrong. They're driving to a mechanic to fix their car, <laughs> and they get fucked. That's my yeah. favorite part about the movie is. 
it's not cliche in any like sense of like being, and it's one of the first movies to like you know do something like that, and no one goes, "Hey, it's a great idea." Everyone just goes with the easy way out, and he didn't, and I like it. By the so. way, they were talking about doing a remake up until recently, and it sounds like it's not happening, where they were saying, oh, it's Cujo, but it's going to be called Cujo stands for Canine Unit Joint Operations, and the so whole Jesus world went, fucking... shut the fuck up. <laughs> what does it even mean? I don't know. What do you think, Summers? Uh, yeah, this was, um, I mean, I, I, uh, this is probably the second or third time I've seen this movie, um, and I... Really enjoyed it. I, I, I watching it again, I, and I, again, I, you know, you're always when you go back to revisit a movie, you're always concerned. Like, am I going to feel differently this time? And I did not. Um, I, I will say, um, it, it it's it, I think it's pretty well directed and, and especially um, edited. Um, it still has a little bit of that sort of um, early '80s TV movie sort of look it's to cinematography it. by Jan DeBont. By Jan DeBont. Uh, uh, I, I know, it's just... He shot Die Hard and Hunt for October. And directed... Uh, and directed Twister and Speed. Yeah. Oh, I love Twister. He shot so, Basic Instinct. And right? shot Basic Instinct, lest we forget. So, um, so, but but that being said, I, I think it's a... You so know, his morals are flexible. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, 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 so the I'm acting, crossing and I'm crossing my legs right now on those spots. <laughs> oh, Chris, Let's take a moment for panties, that. Oh, God. Okay. A lot oh. of panties on. <laughs> the pajama Just a, be a quick so side great. note: Do you know why she had? Because they said the light was reflecting off her white panties, and she had to take them off. Really? That was the excuse that he gave her to lose her panties. He's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> no, moving on, back to Kucha. Wow. wow. Sorry. Solid uh, yeah. Light. Sorry, I don't know how to follow Thank that. God um, your director's notes. But uh, uh, <laughs> I thought this movie was was smarter and more mature than than uh, uh, certainly a lot of Stephen King adaptations, Agreed. but a lot of movies of its era I you know the the fact that it was about adultery and and it didn't shy away from that it was a very adult movie which I think I enjoyed a lot about it um it has that that feeling like um I, I was gonna say sort of the movies of my youth like like Jaws or or even like Superman or something where you're waiting for the good stuff and they make you wait with this movie. I mean, it's a it's a really long yes, time before the dog. Do. I mean, that's why you're there. You're there to see that the dog attack them in the car and it's it, about a 45 minutes yeah, or more. It takes a long time. And that being said, it is not boring. It's yeah. it's really interesting just like Jaws, you really get into the characters and what's going on with them and how that impacts them once the 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 horror part of it starts. Um <clears throat> they spend a lot of time with the mechanic family? Yeah. And and that definitely feels like a holdover from the book. Uh I'm not I'm not sure that it's the I it, it I mean I see why they put it in the movie but it does not feel particularly organic and it doesn't seem to really pay off in a real way. That's my biggest problem with this movie. It feels like there's too many vestigial parts to it from the yeah. novel that don't pay off to anything. I, but yeah. to me, I, I look at it as, like, it's the kid's dog. Vestigial. Sorry. Like, like the kid Such is the mechanics. Way. I don't know his name, but, like, I think that's why it worked for me just fine, because he has a vested interest in the actual dog. The dog's safety is like, I saw him in the fog and something wasn't right with him. Maybe Dad can... I think but they spent worked. all that time with the dynamics between the, the, hey. the mechanic father and, and, the, and the mother, and, and obviously they were having problems, and I, it really didn't pay off in any real way other than getting them, see them, them and I feel like getting whacked the by the dog. And I feel like that's the true story, is the whole adultery thing. That's, like, really the true... I mean, Stephen King is so subtle like that. Like, he'll take these really personal things 
and then put a horror over them, like a horror story and, over and them. And that was something yeah. that I wanted to say about the movie, which is um, I, I think that's one of the reasons that I, I really like this movie is I think it's a really good example of what we all love about Stephen King when we first read his novels as as adolescents or or, uh, or or kids is that you know he mixes really great character stuff with the suspense and the horror and and when when you really get that intersection going that's what Stephen King is really great at and this movie I think does a really good job uh, preserving that. That's actually my going to be my final thoughts is yeah. talking about the characters like his characters I, are so. This isn't highly suspect reviews. Right? Uh, Damn it! And, and I, I, yeah, <laughs> I would I like to say final thoughts if I want to. <laughs> I, I did want to say though um, uh, I did have one critique which is the movie ends with a truly terrible uh, classic 80s freeze frame. Freeze frame. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> and also a really oboe-heavy ending theme that uh, doesn't work. The, the music in here was, was kind Scooby of distracting. Was yeah. it, I was like very Scooby-Doo. No, was it scored by the same guy who did Rambo? Because every time you saw Cooch, it was like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. It had like this very like Rambo esque style like score. That is, I did not make that connection. It was but Charles I, Bernstein who did A Nightmare on Elm Street. I, I have no idea what else he did, but it sounded like he, like Cujo was going to war about to kill some Viet Cong. <laughs> oh, Not did, to like... Uh, he did White Lightning and the Entity. Yeah. Oh. Well, that's interesting. In oh. my notes... And I the don't... man from Orgy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, as many men are. Holy um, cow. So... Uh, I'm a big fan of this movie. This is yes. probably one of the highlights of the movies that we watched for this. We'd seen it before, but it hadn't. I hadn't really... I don't think I saw it until... I don't think I saw this as a kid or anything. I think we, we watched it, kind of caught it late night. We were, and I think Russ and I were really interested in movies that were focused on sort of uh, one location and, and everything. And we didn't really realize that's not the whole movie. That's only about half the movie or, or less. Um, but uh, Louis Teague directed it. I don't yeah. think anybody mentioned him really. Yeah. but Who he, also directed Cat's Eye. He directed another Stephen Nile. King adaptation, which and he was, did. He did Alligator, and he did Alligator, which I think is probably why he got this. Before movie. this, yeah. by yeah. the way, Cujo has an appearance in Cat's Eye. Oh, does he? Yeah. Wow. He, in one of the interstitial bits, he's chasing the cat. It's oh, Cujo. okay. Yeah. So um, huh. Teague is uh, probably not a director that anybody would like say like, "Oh my God, this this is the guy." But I actually think he's a really smart, solid genre director, and this movie um, is really. Solid. It's sharp. It, it it doesn't. I don't feel like it really drags in a lot of places. I guess Russ is right. Some of the subplots are less interesting. But as far as like when you talk about like a B movie, like an '80s horror movie, whatever, this movie is like at the upper echelon of what that is. It's directed by someone who's intelligent, who has ideas, who um, knows where to put the camera, who knows how to build suspense. And I think you look at like. I didn't really remember how he used Cujo at the end, but Cujo's really interesting. He's not just like this rabid, crazy dog barking at the window the whole time. He's quiet. He watches them. There's these great long shots mm-hmm. of him outside the car, and he's somewhat inscrutable. You know, like, like, there's a lot of close-ups of the dog. And in other movies, I'd be like, eh, what the hell? And instead, like, you really kind of like see some shit going on there, and you're like, what is, what is going on? Because he's not... The monster you're kind of waiting for, or whatever, and um, it's the monster that you need. Right, he's great, <laughs> and I think uh, um, also the idea thematically. I think I think this to me felt the closest of all the movies that we watched to reading a Stephen King novel. I think probably because of the 45 minute build up, and it works in the characters, and then it gets to the end, and then it's sort of this horror suspense thing. 
but it actually felt more like a Stephen King novel because we really got to spend time with these characters. And the affair was really interesting to me. It was handled in a really interesting way, especially like where the husband figures out what's going on. I think is a great moment. And he, I was going to say, I thought the exact same thing. Like um, <clears throat> he comes into every moment at the very possible ending of it. So where it's like. You know, when she's saying goodbye to the guy, and he's like, oh, it's over? Yeah, I can't. I'm, I'm happily married. I got a great yeah. kid. And it doesn't say why it happened or how long it went on for. Right. All you know is something happened, and it's over. And the husband comes home, and he goes, yes or no? Yeah. And she goes, yes. And he, no, you don't have to get into the whole, like, why'd you, like, right. it, that's bad writing. It's smart, yeah. He did good, He did a great job with, I think you know, it's, it's always it, smart. Yeah, and it's, it's visual. The husband drives by, and he thinks he sees... Yeah. The, the wife talking to the other guy, and then he pulls back around, and they're gone. Yeah. And did he see it? Does he know? That's really strong visual Filmmaking. storytelling. Yeah. It's just it's smart. And the same with the attack with the dog. And he he has like one amazing the three sixty uh, shot. shot inside That's the great. car. It's yeah. really it was unexpected. And, and where it comes, which really if you watch real carefully, the film quality goes way down because they couldn't figure out how to do it with the camera they were shooting everything else with. So they had to go down to sixteen millimeter. Right. Just took shot. The so the film quality, the grain. Again, yeah. did, didn't care because yeah. it's such. And it, the, what it cuts to is really neat too. I wouldn't think it was harmful. I'm yeah, no, but it's, it's fascinating. I just think the movie continually surprised me. And um, it's it's stronger and smarter than a lot of Stephen King adaptations. Wait, wait, wait! Did we all just agree? No, yeah. we didn't, because I think still think this movie is kind of boring. Okay, for most I, well, but yeah. we don't we don't so, agree, we don't like your opinion. It, it anyway, say, like, so. the, the first five minutes of the movie, like filming a dog chase a rabbit going into a hole and being attacked by a bat. As a director, you read that and you're like, I, I don't want to make this movie. <laughs> this is going to take a month to shoot this yeah. fucking scene. So, I mean, I give props to Louis Teague for, like, dealing with animals and doing it in a way. I mean... Which is always it's, difficult. It's very difficult. And it sucks that one of the dogs died, which you never want that to happen. I mean, at Good least Sabinards are very smart yeah. dogs. They're very obedient and friendly dogs. But that's also a problem when you're dealing with a movie where it's not supposed to be a friendly dog. One of the is- big issues they had was all the shit around its muzzle is a combination of egg cream and sugar. And the dog kept eating it off its own. <laughs> Talk about your same animal. Same, same. right here. <laughs> so, um, so basically meringue. Yeah. I mean, come basically on. meringue. So I did my biggest. Okay, so my biggest problem was the same with Russ. I didn't really care as much about the mechanic family. That felt very Stephen King. Uh, but I do think there's a connection drawn, uh, you know, with unhappy families and sort of uh, the visiting of evil on the families. I think like that. That was really interesting, but. Um, that, that in a way is is very karmic. Yeah, connected. Like the choices that they have made have put them in this position, and they're punished for it by the sort of visiting evil force. Which I really I, that's a very Stephen King uh, structure, which I really like. And then the other thing I would say is the only thing that sort of drove me nuts where I was like Russ, like we were sort of talking while watching them, which I, I we try not to do, but I was like. They live in this stunning palatial New England home. Which, by the, the way, same town that Dead and Buried was filmed in. Okay, right on. So, another, yeah, gorgeous town. So, yeah, horror connection. Um, the stunning palatial home uh, in New England, which I can tell you is not cheap. It's like a 12-bedroom home. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, and then he's driving this um, beautiful Jaguar. classic Jaguar. And then she just has this broke-down Pino, you know? That makes – it literally makes no sense. Like, it is probably the least believable thing in the movie. And then – what I love is she drives it to this mechanics place, which is a setup for the end of the movie. What is her plan? Like she's there with the kid and like her heels. How is she going to get? She's yeah, like, oh, I'm like, Uber. you're just going to sit <laughs> around and wait for this guy, this weird mechanic and his weird family, while they fix the car. That made no sense to me. Other than that. Mechanic's uh, wife who's got the weird jaw. You see, that kept yeah, that was me. I was confusing. Like, you seem like you got like something 
what you were born deformed and you got plastic surgery, but you're still like, yeah, something didn't come out. Yeah, Chris, right. Chris wow. went there quick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's so Jay Leno. Yeah. Right. She right. looks like Jay Leno. I know. <laughs> Anyways, I, I think that was probably. I mean, I, I, I would. Cujo's a recommend. For me. I absolutely overall, it's like, a great film. If you're looking for like an '80s popcorn horror movie, I mean, this one's pretty good. I think it's pretty fun. So. I think it's great once the dog starts attacking them in the car. But before that, I was bored out of my mind. Yeah, there's that's so. a fair. That's, that's fair. fair. All right, so let's move on to Firestarter, which I'm yeah. probably going to say is actually my least favorite of oh, all of, these. No. of all of them. Yeah. In fact, Stephen King says this is one of the worst he movies ever made this from film, one of his books. Which is funny enough because it's like word for word from his book. So the, maybe uh, he just hates his own the, writing. The critics weren't crazy about it either at the time when it came out. I actually will say right now for a movie that is Firestarter-ish, I think The Fury is much better yeah, by De Palma. Really? De Palma. Yeah. yeah, And I'm not a big De Palma fan. I think The Fury is a much better <sighs> version of essentially no. the same mm. story. And I, I do like The Fury, but not, not as much. All right, Patience, what's the story of Firestarter? I just, okay, I, this is my very first Stephen King book I ever read, by the way. So I'm this is super nostalgic for me. you have a me. copy of this? I, of course. I, I hear they're hard to get a hold of because it was uh, in uh, Yeah, oh. really? Oh, well, his, 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 uh, the first edition of this yeah. was the first time they ever released, if I'm not mistaken, the first time he ever released one of his books in a limited edition, and then he was very irritated about it after the fact because he was like, well, now fans are bugging me, sending me letters going, I can't get Firestarter. Uh, and I think is it was... more widely available now, though? Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Have you been to Half Price Books in the last? <laughs> <one days? laughs> There's like 17 copies at all. Uh, so this is a little story about Charlie McGee, uh, played by Drew Barrymore, and she. Um, has the ability to, she's pyrokinetic, so she can start fires with her mind, uh, because her, uh, father, Andy, and her mother, Vicky, Heather Locklear, Heather Locklear <laughs> participated in this, like, yeah. sort Best of, ever. like, you know, MK Ultra experiment in college where they were given some sort of hallucinogen that eventually gave them, uh, you know, some sort of paranormal powers. Probably the only couple ever who met and hooked up during an MK I Ultra. Know, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, brought to you by The Shop, who is a, a, a theme throughout a lot of Stephen King's movies. They're like kind of like CIA. Yeah. You know, they were in The Lawnmower Man, Supernatural. They were in The Tommy yeah. Knockers. They were mentioned. Government. Agency that's fucking with shit. Yeah. They were responsible for the mist in the stand. Dude, they these were, guys suck. In the stand, they were they so suck at their job. Really right? terrible at their jobs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're being ran by Martin Sheen, I believe, yeah. is the guy mm-hmm. that's running the shop. The shop at the time. So anyway, um, they're on the run because the shop wants Charlie. Um, basically, they want to test her. They want to do experiments on her. They do eventually capture Andy and Charlie. Andy has the push which means that he can get people to um, bend to his will, I guess he would say. But like, only if he grabs his face. I know, but only it. if he like, does if he the temple thing. he can't touch his head, he can't do it. Yeah, apparently. It's a really shitty power. Yeah, yeah, that's why he wasn't allowed on the action super melodramatic. Yeah, interferes with the headgear. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they get captured by the shop. They do do experiments on uh, Charlie after much convincing by her I can't remember his name um, obviously Rainbird like, yeah Rainbird thank yeah. you played by George C. Scott yes yeah. Oscar well, I was winner like, George C. Scott Oscar George C. Scott winner is in this George movie. C. Scott and uh, 
I don't want to give it away in case anybody's it's ever it's, actually seen know, the movie. It's 30 years old. Yeah, it's anyway, she old. burns the place to the fucking ground. Because it is called fucking Firestarter. Firestarter. Fires are started in Firestarter. <laughs> she's not just a fire starter, she's a fire finisher. That's true. <laughs> she's going to end that shit. This was, again, this was like my very first introduction to the horror genre, period, end of story. This is the reason why... I love horror today, is I read this book when I was nine years old. I didn't understand half of it. I remember asking my sister, what does decapitated mean? <laughs> I'm calling social services on parents right now. My, well, I was, my, I was with my sister. <laughs> Retroactive. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> um, and this, so this is super nostalgic. That's why I absolutely had to have this movie on the list. And I'm sorry you guys hated it, but I still stand by it. Um... I didn't hate it. It was just really boring because oh, it was no. way too long. And uh, yeah, the guy, uh, what's the director's name? Mark, Mark Lester. Lester. Yeah, he that makes guy. shitty fucking movies. Oh, make Commando. Commando's all right. <laughs> it's a shitty movie that by God is still super fun to watch, but there's no denying it's so, a shitty movie. This one? No, I, I feel oh, like, I yeah, feel like uh, Mark Lester was really trying to impress Stephen King and saying, you know what? I'm going to do such a direct adaptation. That, like, I mean, I don't get why people talk shit about, like, what Kubrick did with The Shining. Like, why King had an issue with why other, like, King fanatics. It's like, it's a movie. Movies and books are two different, like, forms of media. Yeah. You have to adapt it. And this guy tried to, like, suck off King and make an, you know, an exact, literal, like, version of his book. Yeah. And it doesn't fucking work. Yeah. It doesn't work. The best part about this movie is George C. Scott. Like, I'm watching the movie. I go, is that, that's Patton right there. Holy shit. He he's is terrific. killing it in yeah. every scene. That man is fucking genius, and uh, he's the best thing about this. One hundred percent. And then I, I did more research on him because I was like, I want to know more about this guy. This guy, like, straight up told the Academy to go fuck themselves twice, mm-hmm. three times. I mean, he won the Oscar for uh, for Patton, Patton, and the producer had to go up and uh, read pretty much a letter saying that. Uh, George C. Scott doesn't believe he's in competition with other actors. He's creating art, and uh, that's why he's doing it. So, And they return the Oscar the next day. He's Jesus. buried in an unmarked grave next to Walter Matthau. The guy never did anything for attention. He was just a talented man. And uh, without him in this movie, I mean, I would have hated it. Okay, with I him agree. in the movie, I enjoyed it because he was so interesting that it made it worth my while, I guess. I wanted so, to watch yeah. a movie about him. Rainbird, yeah. Not about anybody else in the film. I was like, you're the most interesting, you're the only interesting thing in this film. Yeah, Rainbird was, I mean, when he said, I want to like, chop her in the nose and make brain fragments go in, or like nose fragments go into her brain to kill her. And I'm going to stare in her eyes so that in the afterlife I may have that power with me. I'm like, this dude's fucked up. Yeah. And I dig it. He's a, he's you should a, read the book. He's a he's classic, more fucked up he's a classic king like antagonist mm-hmm. and no one else any anyone else is just a banal like like uh, officiant at this the shop yep. they're like they don't really we don't really even Martin Sheen you're like okay well he just works for the business it was you Martin know, Sheen being a political character and you're also like watching going like are they idiots for hiring this guy? It doesn't work that this company would be like, yeah, let's hire the serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a mercenary. Yeah. yeah, I don't know that I totally agree with that because they, they have a lot of weird, dirty work that they have to do. You're going to have to get somebody who wants but to get their hands But so he's so clearly insane, even and in their they, But they, Sheen is very aware of that. And he even calls him out on that. And he tries to keep him in check. No. So I'm not, yeah. But I, the worst part of the whole thing... 
Carpenter could have directed this. John Carpenter was a could have directed it. He lost a job because the thing failed, and the thing's one of the greatest horror movies of all fucking time. Yeah, they cut so. they, they cut the budget in half, and he said, "Well, then I'm not doing it." So. Well, and the yeah. thing failed in the box office. Yeah, and they took his job away. Yes. Yeah. And Richard Dreyfus was going to be the dad. That makes yeah. me sad as and well. Burt Lancaster oh, wow. was going to be Martin Sheen's role. Wow. Because his son so, is the one who wrote the screenplay. Oh. There would have been a much better movie. Oh, wow. Uh, that makes uh, tears. That and is... Jennifer Connelly almost got the role for uh, yeah. Charlie. Charlie, which well, would have been know. a lot I better. I thought Drew yeah. Barrymore did a great yeah. job. I think Drew Barrymore and David Keith, because who was his seventeenth choice? Doesn't it always make you feel like you're sad? <laughs> I think you're like, you say two... David Keith, you're like, don't you mean Keith, Keith David? David. Yeah, it's I like, know. no, it's it's the other guy. It's the other one. <laughs> uh, I think that that those two lead performances are. Fucking terrible. They derailed the yeah. movie. There's, I think Barrymore is terrible. She's great in ET, but she's fucking terrible in this movie. Like I was, she drove me nuts. Like I really, I hate her. And David Keith. To be fair, she's not particularly well written. I again, I don't yeah. even know that it's them. I think they're asked to do a lot of really silly stuff that they're just not capable of kind of pulling off. But David Keith is terrible in this as well. He's, I'm sure he's a lovely man, and I, he's been probably better in other movies. But Note, dude, in case I ever have, yeah, to in work case I ever meet, I'm like, bro, I said you were cool because I do. I, I but <laughs> it was, it's just you're blind. You too, you I, son of a yeah. Bitch. I, I had like, a friend, I had a friend in college awful. who used to walk around saying, "You're blind. You too, you son of a bitch. You're blind too." <laughs> um, which uh, I, I hadn't even seen Firestar at <laughs> yeah, that point, like, but we just used to make him do the voice or whatever. Uh, they're so both terrible. terrible. Uh, his, his specialty was doing obscure yeah. 80s lines. Well, he would also do James Spader in Pretty in Pain. And, and then Colonel Troutman from Rambo. Yeah, so uh, anyway. we all have that friend. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a movie fan, you definitely have that friend. Um, this, I, I think I've never really sat down to watch this movie Completely, I think I've seen the whole movie in pieces. As you do, this is very much a cable TV movie. You've watched the whole thing, but never all at once. Um, it, it, you can feel the echoes of John Carpenter in it. There's a lot of things that I think Carpenter would have figured out how to probably pull off better. Just listening to his cast list, like I the understand. Fireballs. Oh my oh, god, the fireballs look so shitty. Um, so terrible. Yeah, there's some problems. Uh, First off, uh, there's a Tangerine Dream score, so shout out to anything that has Tangerine Dream. Yeah, except for how it came about. Yeah, which is right? they're just picking tracks. It's yeah. not actually a score. What fucking director would say yes to, oh, uh, okay. Uh, I, I would if it was really? Tangerine Dream. Tangerine Dream. Actually, like, uh, come into William Friedkin would because they didn't. They did the same thing with Sorcerer. I think that's the, the way thing. they scored the movie. Well, so I, I, great, I thought that the score was one of the it's best parts of the movie. It's um, super nostalgic. It's great. It, well, it's what... It, this score, I think, is the kind of score that that you remember fondly with with '80s synth scores. Absolutely, I, I think it it it's a it's a really good example of that. Um, it's no Vangelis, goddammit. it! Uh, wow, <laughs> this can I love them both? Do I have to pick? I think that this movie, there is the bones of a super awesome movie to this movie. Like this is everything I want. So from you're a movie saying like. there should be a remake? I would, like, this is actually a, a film that I would love. Uh, yeah, Cron. Cronenberg Carpenter, but this is a movie I would love for there to be. You know what? Uh, here's what I'm going to disagree uh-huh. with you because I think that this is the kind of movie you think you want to remake too. And then just like Carrie, somebody remakes it, puts a bunch of CGI in there. Imagine all this fire, which is practical in this movie, is now CGI. I would have and been it's already worse. shitless to have to direct this movie with all the fire and all yeah. the explosions. I mean, I think the fire and explosions are actually really awesome in this movie. No, they are, but and, can you imagine how people... Oh, no, it would have been terrifying. God. And, but that, 
that's Lester why I'm saying. That's is, why I'm saying. I think a remake of this movie with 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 a bigger CGI budget and a more. Um, so mo- what if we had a caveat where it's like no CGI fire? Fucking fix your story and let's go. It no, would be great. I think maybe, if, maybe. You were, if you were to do a TV series, not specifically based on Firestarter, but sort of based around the shop chasing various people, would be awesome. As oh, Firestarter and Agents one of, of characters. Yeah. And hopefully we'll get that. But I think, I mean, don't, I you just, talk, don't you talk smack about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> I mean, you know, genetically enhanced or chemically enhanced uh, superheroes and then, you know, uh, shadowy government agencies pursuing them. Um, Normally this is something m- I love. But this, yeah, this is like my jam. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and then, you know, synthesizer scores and all that. And then I really, not just... You guys singled out Jersey Scott, who is a stunning actor. But I'm a huge Martin Sheen fan. Moses yeah. Gunn is in this movie. He's great. Uh, Freddie uh, Young or Freddie Jones um, is also in the movie. I, I think the Freddie supporting Jones. cast is really strong. Art Carney. Art Carney. Yeah. Uh, 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 Oscar winner. Uh, Louise, Louise, Louise Fletcher. Fletcher. But two, two, two Oscar, Oscar winners, winners. Yeah. Who, who I think are somewhat wasted in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot going on what there. in this movie? Uh Unfortunately, the movie is just squishy. It's it's got it's, it's just like there's not. It's like it feels like there's something. It just it needs to be stronger and sharper. You know, there's cool moments. I, the scene where he takes out uh, Char, uh, Scott takes out Charlie and her and her dad on the dock, like darts them, and then the guys come out in the silver suits and they're all walking toward. It's a really cool moment. Yeah. And uh, I just wish the rest of the movie was up to that. Um, I you know I think that the movie. Uh, of itself, especially for a movie of its era, is fairly coherent. Yes, and and does have a a pretty good structure. That it, it it makes sense as a movie. So I I don't think there are a lot of really terrible uh, uh, movies from that era, particularly Stephen King adaptations that don't totally hang together. They're not great, but this one I feel like I I did feel it was like a real movie. I know this movie gets a really bad rap. It's remembered as a particularly bad Stephen King adaptation, a particularly bad early 80s movie. And I don't think it lives up to that reputation. I think it's it's fairly watchable. I think you have Sheen and Scott in their very 80s paycheck phase, but it's great to have them. They elevate the material just by virtue of being in it. Um, Yeah. I'd agree. I mean, it, this is definitely like, I mean, it's hard to talk about Stephen King currently without something like Stranger Things coming up. You can see the influence of this movie on all kinds of stuff like that. And, and I, will, it, I will say this year's loose remake of it was so much better than this one. Uh, Logan. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a remake of Firestarter. Yeah, when you think of it, you're like, holy shit, this is fucking Firestarter. <laughs> and and that's, that's what I'm saying about this movie. Like, I think this is one of those movies that has a particularly bad reputation, but that has seeped into pop culture and that a lot of people have, have taken ideas and stolen from. And so I do think it's a, it's a fairly... Uh, a good thing, Stephen King adaptation in that sense. I, I understand the knocks against it. Um, no, but I mean, just like when it starts and they're like running through the streets being pursued. Yeah. It's a great opening. Like, I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? It's cinematic. Yeah. But what I don't get is this guy's got this ability to make anybody do what he wants, and the only way he can get money is to go to a payphone. And to make the payphone give him the twenty five bucks inside it. There's like so you, there is so you much. You could have just movie. gone outside. There's, I mean, how, how about the scene where there's... Moses Gunn tries to escape the fire the uh, the, the fire superhero on his golf cart, and you're like, oh, yeah. dude, you should just run. run. No, 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 you're <laughs> he's like, and he's looking back like, uh oh, I'm going <laughs> five miles an hour, and a flaming meatball takes him. Yeah, out. Yeah, 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 it's just yeah, yeah, everything with the movie like that. 
Well, I agree with Russ for once. I think it stands up. I think it's a great little 80s film. What you want from a Stephen King 80s movie, this movie delivers. This movie has it. I I think it's way better than its reputation. Well, Silver Bullet's coming up next, right? Yeah. But we're going to save that for the next show. Already? an hour. I know. I was like, hey, 50 minutes. Hopefully we'll get through the whole thing for one. No. We're we're not even close. So we got a whole other show. For Stephen King, we got a lot of movies. No prelude, just right into the Stephen King, where we will be talking about Silver Bullet, Maximum Overdrive, Needful Things, The Mangler, at fourteen oh eight, and The Night Flyer. We got a lot to cover. So tune in next week when we uh, we put that sucker out, and it's going to be fun because we're going to do another shot before we start talking about. Hell it. yeah! <laughs> you should too. Oh, I am. <laughs> No, I mean our audience. They should. Oh, yeah, they should. <laughs> yeah. I'll do one for all of you. I will match you a shot. <laughs> Oneofus.net has been your one-stop shop for all things geek for years. But there's a side to them many of you have never heard. The subscription side. Subscribe and listen to great podcasts like The Breakfast Pub, The Original Gentleman, and the Watch a Movie With Us series. Head on over to oneofus.net and don't forget your towel.